Geltman and Weld on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. Yeah, it's just another outside predatory story. <laughs> I mean, that's where I, what I wanted to talk about. It's like I feel like it's, right, I mean, well, it's very well on. written, but it's yeah, uh, Welcome yeah. to Hammer Factor, episode eighty. We are back. It's been a little bit, a little while. My name is John Grace, producer here at the show. I'd like to introduce my co-host, John Weld, co-owner of Immersion Research, and Lewis Geltman, policy director for the Outdoor Alliance. We've got a lot to talk about. We've got lined up for the show today, I would say hands down, the most beautiful man in Whitewater. That's besides you. That's a fair description. (laughs) We have Benny Marr on the show to go into a, a deep dive of all sorts of different topics. Super excited about that one. Um, yeah, what's going on? What have you guys been doing? Well, you've been gone for like a month. I want to make that clear because people are bugging me all the time about when we're going to do a hammer factor. And I'm like, well, it's when Grace gets back from sabbatical or whatever you call a break <laughs> for this long. I mean, it's not a vacation. It's something else, right? It was, it was, it was five weeks of bliss is what it was. Back in June, I bought our family ski passes. Um, kind of had this idea, and you could get a refund by November. So you could buy the passes, and you could get a refund. And so I just went ahead and bought them. We took off, loaded up all the kids, all of our stuff, and drove from North Carolina to Donner Pass, California. And went and stayed in a friend's basement, stayed in Jason Hale's basement, and uh, basically lived 10 minutes from the ski resort and took the kids skiing every day. And it was freaking amazing. I mean, Chelsea and I got 20 days. The kids got 18 days. The last 10 days we were there, we got nine feet of snow. I think I sent you guys some pictures. Um, that's so sweet. I'm so, so glad you guys scored, man. I feel like you're always just like California. It's such a dice roll. I'm super stoked you guys got it good. Yeah, it worked out great for us because the first like two and a half weeks, it was 55 degrees, sunny, and it was perfect just to teach teach the kids what's up. Like Jack's the oldest. He could ski, but the other, the twins couldn't. And dude, by the end of it, I mean, it's amazing and I think you mentioned this when we were on the phone. Well, like skiing is like the first fun thing you can do with your kids. Like, right. Where you're... I remember like my four year old, my kids turned four, like we could actually go skiing. Yeah. And, you know, they're getting on the lift by themselves, off the lift by themselves. You know, and by the end of it, we're on black diamonds and three feet of powder. And, you know, they're like taking face shots. <laughs> it was sick. It was like super sick. And then uh, basically got home, and I think everybody was mad at me. <laughs> everybody was basically like, what the hell? Where have you been? So That's where you operate your best when people are angry with you. <laughs> what do you mean by that? You, I, you, heard, you brought that up the other day, and I'm trying, mm-hmm. to, I'm trying to figure out what you mean by that. There's some I just think when, when, you're an, like when you're being antagonized, that's when you really come into your own. <laughs> and I think you angle yourself to, to be in those situations. <laughs> It's just a casual observation, having worked, having known and worked with you for a, a shoot a couple decades, right? A long time, longer than I'd like to admit. 
One day we're going to do an LVM. What's a hot seat? <laughs> oh, God, that's going to be epic. I think there's a bit of an autopsy to occur there. <laughs> uh, well, we'll keep that one in our pocket. That'll be a good one for sure. Yeah. That would be a good one. Well, yeah, what do you what? What have you been doing, man? You were you were going kayaking regularly there for a minute, and I, I haven't seen you in like a month. Uh, well, we went skiing for a wee bit. I, I don't get the five week type. Oh my God! Here we go. Vacations that Grace can afford, but we did go to uh, Grand Targhee for for a week, which was nice. And then it's as you approach March, we just have been, especially now, the way the sports going, we've been insanely busy. But I did. I have now officially paddled the Little White more than any other river in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> How many runs do you got? I don't know. Four. Maybe eight. <laughs> <laughs> Can you guys hear that chainsaw? No. Yes. Ugh, my neighbor is cutting a tree down right now. I should let him know that the hammer fighter is going on. So what happened? Why did you quit paddling? You went on a ski trip? Yeah, and and then uh, I, I just been it's just been really 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 busy. I, I know it's a cliche, but there is a lot going on right now if you're in the kayaking biz. So are you dialing it in out there on the little white? Like, how is it? I mean, are you still kind of figuring your way down? Where are you at in the in the process? You know, the problem is this is my. It's hard to communicate this to. I don't know. It's just you get to my stage in the game. My stage in the game, I'm not going to blame age, but it's just I have not paddled as much as I have been in the past. You just have – there's no plan B, right? You go out there and either it's plan A or it's going to be something disastrous is going to occur, <laughs> you know? And it's just not the range of where I want to be. And so you say to yourself, well, if I just could paddle six days a week, that would take care of it. But that's not really realistic, you know? And so you kind of get stuck in this – I don't know, situation. I'm not sure what to make of it. It's just hard to get like the back-to-back days to where you, the, that thought leaves your head. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, like when I was, even, time. even when I was 40 something, you know, I, I had, I was still paddling enough and I had enough momentum going where like if, if things really turned bad or whatever, you know, I just felt like I, I could always have something. I had a few tricks up my sleeve to pull, you know, to, uh, to keep things moving along. And, I, you know, it's not like, I mean, I'm not worried about drowning or anything. I'm just want to have, I just want to be, I just want to feel like I used to paddle. You know what I mean? That's what I want. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's very elusive right now. Mm. So, what, What's the flow been out there? Uh, it's been good. I mean, I've paddled more this year because there's more, it seems to be, Lewis can correct me, but it seems to be a lot more water now than there has been since we moved out here. Yeah, we've had like we've had a nice winter. We haven't had a ton of high water, but it's been like consistently solid medium plus. It's like high threes right now. Perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, it's pleasant. <laughs> what have you been up to, Liz? <laughs> oh, just working and kayaking and usual. I don't know. I'm dull. My mom just moved to White Salmon. That's exciting. Whoa, Lewis, you have, this is not professional, but you have a tendril of snot hanging up. There you go. Thanks, John. <laughs> it's really distracting. <laughs> I was just looking at that, not really looking at anything else. It looks like the plants turned the corner back there. It's on the up and up. <laughs> I knew you were going to mention that. I was like, gosh, oh, take the plant out to the porch before we do the podcast. Uh, 
Oh, speaking of work, Lewis, what's going on? Is last time we spoke, we were talking about Deb Holland, new Interior Secretary. Is she? Well, just kind of fill us in. What's going on? Yeah, I can't remember the last time we did this, but um, I think I think her name just came to the top of the list, if I remember right. Yeah, so she was nominated. She had her confirmation hearings last week, um, which seemed to have been you know a bit contentious. Like she's you know obviously been a hard out environmental advocate, and you know that doesn't fire up a lot of uh, Senate Republicans. So. I don't know. I think the, the hearings were pretty contentious. Like Steve Daines from Montana, fairly disappointingly, has been, uh, you know, leading the charge and opposing her nomination. John Barrasso, who's the top Republican on the Energy and Natural Resources Committee now, is Republican from Wyoming, has also been pretty, you know, outspoken against her. But the uh, committee just voted on her nomination this morning. Um, all the Democrats voted in favor including Joe Manchin, who is a little bit of a question mark, um, as well as Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, and all the rest of the Republicans voted against her. But it looks like she has the votes to get confirmed, which is awesome. Um, super excited. I'll be, uh, I'll be good. Does that mean Harris I'm has so... to come in there and cast the tiebreaker? Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, it's not, I mean, if she has, I guess Susan Collins said today that she was going to vote for, for her confirmation as well. So it sounds like she'll have at least a, you know, couple of republican votes so i'm surprised good. mansion is on board yeah i reckon that was a not the easiest vote for him um what gives uh i mean you know i don't know I, I there's a lot of things that joe mansion says and does that i don't really fully understand but i do think that he's a better guy than people give him credit for like mansion's from west virginia yeah mansion's FYI. i mean yeah. You know, by reputation, the most conservative member of the you know Democratic caucus in the Senate, which makes I mean, him, he's, in a, he's which makes him in a position, I mean, which makes him in a tie, you know, in a 50 50 Senate that makes him, you know, the most important person in the Senate. Oh, he's really, got some power because, right now. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, some of that, I'm sure that he, uh, you know, that puts him in a tough space on something like, you know, Deb Holland's confirmation where it's like it's, you know, that's a hard vote for him to come out and say. You know, I'm going to support I'm going to support her, given that she's, you know, pretty, uh, you know, pretty serious about, you know, taking on climate change and, you know, transitioning to renewable energy. And like, I'm sure that there are a lot of people in West Virginia who hear that as something threatening. So I think that was a, I don't know, a moment of leadership for him, for sure. Hmm. Interesting. Does he have a contested seat or is he in there for a while? And when's his neck? When's he due up for reelection? That is a good question. I can't remember. I want to say he's up in four years, but it might be two. I think four, though. Huh. But yeah, I mean, he's the Democrat in a state that Trump won by, what, 30 points or something? So, mm -hmm. Right. right. <laughs> Man. Um, it, yeah, the other thing I was going to say is just I'm pretty fired up about this uh, this climate executive order from president biden right out of the gates i mean this was a there's a lot in there that's you know a really big deal in terms of like taking climate change seriously but seriously the executive order was you just get batted back and forth with every new president right well i mean in a sense right i mean it's not a law but i mean he's setting up you know a uh uh this sort of government-wide approach to taking on climate change creating a white house office of domestic climate policy which is something new i mean but but seriously so trump takes office 
again in March 20th, I guess, is now the new day. I thought it was today. I thought it was today. No, no, no. Today was a false. It was a, today was a trap, as it turns out. Oh. It's the 20th. So on the 20th, I mean, all the stuff's going to get reversed. Well, you don't think that, that Trump's actually the president now, really? Well, I think uh, you have to take a deep dive into the, into the, <laughs> you have to do the research to really understand this, but Listen, dude, uh, no. I've, I've read all the memes, and we're talking about serious business here. You hear me? <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you guys got your vaccine yet? What do I how, do like? I, how do I do that? How did you guys get behind me in the line for vaccines? You got vaccinated? Yeah, dude. All you have to do in North Carolina is just is be a, a smoker. Put like, a, like put like a bald like a bald wig on and then put like reading glasses. And no. Cane and pretend you're, you're, all you're all you have to do is say you're a smoker. So I just went down there and said I'm a smoker. You did? Yeah. <laughs> After all that, <laughs> I just wanted to get mine before you guys. I really, what well, I really didn't are care you, one way or the other. But are you kidding that you got the vaccine by saying you're a smoker? No, I'm not kidding. You can. Uh, it's part of the oh, governor's Grace, order. Hold on for a second. Hold on for a second, Grace. Let me explain this to you. Grace <laughs> went from someone who enraged literally every listener that ever I I heard I, I heard this from more listeners and more friends about great how how enraged they were Grace's policy on vaccine. So this he was, went from this that was, position. This was all a part of Grace's plot to get to the front of the line to was to discredit jumping, the vaccine among the white water community in Asheville. So he would have to, to the wait in line. Exact, <laughs> like an, another. This is what I'm talking about with you thriving in antagonistic situations. This is exactly what I'm talking about to where you're jumping in line by claiming you're a smoker to get the vaccine. <laughs> with the situation, you're, you're thriving. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I've got oh, a little... This delights me on so many levels. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, got my first jab yesterday. Get the next you one. You look like a smoker. Whenever you know they that? tell you. <laughs> they, did, they didn't question me at all. It's believable. <laughs> I think I was wearing this exact same outfit when I went in there. So anyhow, I was just wondering. Do you realize how much angry email we're going to get about this? Oh. About jumping in line in front of people who really need to get the shot, like healthcare workers and. Wait, wait, wait! You guys can't have it both ways. You can't, <laughs> you can't, in one conversation, Dude, diss me for for being I'm like saying, I'm not going to jump right shot. out and what get it. Doing? And now this time you're going to be like, how can you? Th- I don't know where to fit in. I don't fit into any of the any of this. I, I just you guys you convinced me. Like I saw an opportunity and I went crucial, for it. Just a crucial thing to do as a member of society, and everyone needs to wait their turn to make sure that we we uh, we get the, the people who need the most taken care of first. That's all you say. <laughs> That's it, dude. You're like the vaccine police, man. <laughs> Let's get off the subject quickly. This, uh, this, this is, is ridiculous. This make things worse for you. The longer we dwell on this. <laughs> oh, my God. Can we talk about the scorch? I'm just kidding. I did not get the vaccine. But you can't get it in North Carolina now if, you're, if you've smoked 100 cigarettes per month. So you guys can breathe easy. All the listeners out there. Can quit banging on their dashboards. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> okay. 
when I saw that in the executive order, I could not wait to go on the Hammer Factor and start talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, do we want to get into these headlines? We got about ten minutes before we're bringing Benny on, or do we want to jump into the scorch? It's up to you guys. I can do either. The headlines are not that great. I would like to talk about that outside magazine headline at some point. You mean the but... listener mail? Is that what we're talking about? No, I'm talking about you know, when I put in the show notes here a couple uh, of things that came across the news items. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the Scorch. Five minutes. All right, so I know nothing about the Scorch. Fill me in as fill me in completely. I mean, I know that it's – well, just tell me what you know about it. I mean, Gelman, you probably know the pedigree of this boat better than I do. I'm assuming this is resp- this is sort of Piranha's response to a creek boat, right? I mean, uh, the Waka type. Mm, I mean, I some, this, is, some this is the boat Dave wanted. And what Dave wanted was a 10-foot Dave boat. Dave Fuseli. Yeah, and I, mean, I think what he wanted was a 10-foot boat. And Piranha was like, okay, we'll do that. But we're also going to do a run of shorter ones as well, or like a line of shorter ones as well. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a small, medium, large in the you know sort of standard creek boat size range, and then the Scorch X is the ten footer, um, and that boat that you and I paddled was the prototype for the large Scorch, right? Not the um, X, not the X. Okay, no. So but... I'm like I'm pretty excited to try the X, and like I the the large was was intriguing in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I'm, I guess the, the, the axe is what fires me up the most. Did you... I mean, you now, you guys that? have both paddled it, right? Yeah. Okay, well, let's hear. Let's hear what you what you thought. Um, it was... To, you know, it was a prototype that I was paddling, so the construction was, like, it was welded together, and it was leaking, like, horrendously when I paddled it, so I could only get about a minute at a time in it before it was kind of unpleasant to paddle so i feel like i didn't wasn't able to form the most full conclusions but it was interesting it has like a ton of bow rocker like mm-hmm. more bow rocker than any boat probably ever made um and like pretty low stern rocker so the bow stays super dry but it comes out very flat and fast um easy uh. to paddle the stern was like doing some kind of weird things for me and i don't know how much of that was just not being used to it and how much of it was i don't know some design attributes that we talked about and that they i think changed for the final version so i don't know it's interesting it's like it's a, it's a cool boat definitely worth trying weld yeah i mean i would say first of all it's going to be a popular boat like i know it's going to do well for them um, just based on the reaction of how many good people around here paddle the boat and really were enthusiastic about it. Uh, in terms of it being like a like an OG replacement, it's not that. I mean, it's a foot longer for one thing, and in my opinion, it paddled like a long boat. At least the prototype I paddled, it just felt like closer, you know, to like a you know a green boat than it did an OG in terms of its length. Really? It did have Even a with all that rocker? rocker? I mean, it felt like you were looking over the cockpit of an airplane in that boat. I mean, the bow rocker was so high. I wouldn't uh, say that. I wouldn't say it felt like a long boat. I just felt I like mean, it felt really fast. I felt like... It did feel fast, but it wasn't hard to paddle, I didn't think. Like, I could... I. It was enough for me that I was like, if I'm going to be, like, fumbling around and getting busy, I'd much rather be in an OG than in that boat. But, but if see, I knew the river well... Like... I, if I knew the river well, I'd want to be in the Scorch. Like, like I was paddling Upper Yawk every day, it'd be Scorch hands down over an OG. Hands down. Or the Blackwater, for that matter. 
Yeah, and I mean, that's what the OG does for you in a way, right? Like, it makes every other boat feel like it's hard to paddle and hard to turn. Well, the OG has perfected that boof skip to, like, an art form. You know, it's, that is their, that's the, the ace in the hole for that boat. And that, that happens to work perfectly on rivers like the Little White, you know? So, but, yeah, is... I thought the Scorch was cool. And, like, I, I've never paddled a boat that felt like it would be so easy to go fast on the little white end. Like that is the little white race boat for sure. Yeah, that's right. And that was the large. That -hmm. was the large. And how did the sizing feel? It felt big to me. I mean, to me, I, I don't know, but you're what? If I weigh five pounds less, I'd want a medium. I weigh 180. 180. Hmm. Well, I can't wait to try it. It sounds cool to me. I cannot wait to get a piece of the X. That sounds like I'm super curious, like, you know, like a 10-foot boat. I don't know. I mean, for the green race or something, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I, I guess I feel like for a lot of paddlers on certain white water, you know, paddling, like, the longest, hardest to paddle, fastest boat is not going to help you, right? Like, it's, like, I don't know. I, I guess I just feel like a 10-foot boat. I'm, I'm super interested. I mean, we haven't had a 10-foot boat in 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's refreshing, I know I've mentioned this before, but to see designs coming out that don't have a fictitious barrier of 8 feet 6 inches or 9 feet or something, you know? I think whether this boat is the one or whatever, I think that there will be, I think it'll be a good thing as far as design evolution. Totally. Man, I didn't even know there was a 10-footer that was coming out until I talked to you guys. Hmm. Um... All right, we have some other items, but I say we get right into Benny. I told him that we'd be calling him right around this time. Um, Let's do one news item while I bring him on here. Which of these news items would you want to talk about? American Whitewater and the Tallulah? Um, The outside Dean Cummings article? Or the tallest waterfall out of Ecuador disappears? If you had to touch on one of those three. Mm. We talk about the Dean Cummings article for a minute. Okay, so to summarize this article, so Dean Cummings, he was a pioneer in extreme skiing, big mountain skiing, had some successes, some major successes, went, started a very successful heli operation in Alaska, and for all intents and purposes, just went crazy, is the best I can understand from the article at the age of. 50 something or the other and 52 I think is what it was and and uh shot somebody and killed them in New Mexico and now he's in prison I'll link to this article in the show notes but there were some interesting things that kind of jumped out to me in this article um what were you guys' take on it I mean I guess to me it was like it uh it was sort of it was uncomfortable to read. I mean, it's like a super, super sad story, but it also felt like 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 it was giving this like, you know, just tragic story, this like uh sort of like cinematic treatment or something, like meant for you know, you to gawk at or something in a way that made me kinda of uncomfortable. But I mean, you know, a big part of the story was that I mean, it seemed like, you know, there were a lot of people in his life who you know, knew that he was very unwell and wanted to get him help and were not able to do that. And 
you know, I guess I've heard some similar stories from friends who's, you know, have had family members who have had, you know, really bad sort of like mental breaks like this. And, you know, it's like, obviously in society, we value people's autonomy and their ability to make their own decisions about medical treatments and things like that. But it feels like in a lot of ways, this is an example that we've gone too far. You know, it's like there are people who need to be, there needs to be some ability to have like a forcible health intervention, you know, like where you're not really doing somebody like Dean Cummings like a favor by letting him continue to, you know, drift about in the world, destroying everything in his life and ultimately killing somebody, you know, and it's like, it's like society is only set up to intervene when somebody like runs afoul of the law and there's no ability to like intervene and be like, you've lost your mind. Like you're going to the hospital, you know? No, fully. I hear you on that one. I don't know. It's, that's such a, it's very hard, right? Yeah. It's very hard. But... To put your finger on it. Things that kind of stood out to me in this is that I have known a few people in the, extreme sports world whitewater and other sports who have not to this level gone off their rocker but in my opinion have kind of gone off their rocker and in the article it talks about uh three you know three things was it was it uh, a condition of just so many years of being in these extreme environments and doing these extreme things is it a a lifetime it's mentioned in the article that it was you know he had been a, a weed smoker for long long periods of time and it mentioned in the article that he had bumped his head and had several concussions you know it's like but i not to that degree and i don't want anybody to think that i think someone is getting ready to go crazy and shoot somebody but i know several people that have got to this age and it seems like it's you know weld says he's seen these kind of things happen earlier in their 20s but like i feel like i've seen more of these kind of like people go schizophrenic in their late teens that's typically when people go schizophrenic you know that's the only thing that stood out to me yeah i just wonder i just wonder if there's a you know is it a magic combination of all of that kind of stuff that extreme athletes have like you know a tendency to drop off the other side you know and it's like i do think you know like you they talk about his, you know, kind of like his youth. And like, I feel like in a lot of ways, like sports like ours attract that personality type, right? Like people who are really, you know, looking for that, uh, I don't know, that freedom and risk taking and adrenaline or whatever. It's like, you know, I don't, I don't think it's coincidental that, you know, a lot of people who maybe have some of the sort of like, underlying things that lead to this like find their way into our sports you know i don't know if there's any i don't know if there's any story to be had there the whole thing felt clickbaity to me when we, <sighs> back in the day we did a, we did we did an expedition somewhere or another and uh we had a ton of sponsors and outside contacted us about covering the trip and we were all excited about it because that's you know it's good for the sponsors and so they did a one of the before we left they did one of those little blurbs at the beginning i forgot what they're called like short stories or you know news things at the beginning of the magazine and we asked the guy if they could do a, a feature or some kind of bigger story when we get back and he's like no not unless someone dies if someone dies let us know <laughs> that's how that's how he left it that <laughs> he article that line, it, you know? it was it was an interesting article interesting story but 
you're right. The way it was written was so uh, over the top dramatic. It, it was. It was like they were setting it up for a short film or something. I don't know. Well, they have to compete Did with you guys... a bunch of a bunch of true crime podcasts now. Yeah, that was what it was <laughs> like, right? Yeah. See, yeah. Outside just got acquired. Did you guys see that? <laughs> By who? Like Gimlet? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> If I was a company like North Face or Patagonia or something and I wanted to expand, I'd buy a publication like outside. Huh. I, really? Mm-hmm. I would. I, mean, I, have friends, I have friends in the paddle sports print media, you know, like, like Scott at Rapid and obviously Tune at Kayak Session. And, I mean, I have tremendous respect for those guys. They've been in this game a long time, but... I mean, this day and age, I don't envy that medium. Yeah. Oh God, I could go all day about that. Go ahead. Uh, we don't have time. We're getting back. We're getting into the most beautiful man in Whitewater right here. Um, all right, I'm going to see if I can get him connected. Um, Lewis, can you do a little introduction for us? <laughs> why, why I get this? You going? just fawn over Benny. Yeah, Benny I just need a little. <laughs> That's exactly what I was. Yeah, trying. I can. I can fawn about Benny for a minute. <laughs> I don't know. How do you introduce Benny? Everybody knows Benny. He's, I don't know, man. Whitewater Zen master. <laughs> this beautiful man in Whitewater. <laughs> All right, let's see if I can get him in here. I'm calling. I will say that and I can't wait to get into this story with Benny. If he's Hello. there. Hey, we're talking we're just we're talking about you, Benny. Just give us a second. Yeah. <laughs> he came he came into he came into IR. Uh, you know, IR is a bit of a salon, if you will. There's sort of a <laughs> ongoing cast of characters that come wandering through the White Salmon institution. And usually it's kind of the usual bro bra chit chat. But Benny sat down and we had like a, I'd say like an hour long, very, very in depth complicated conversation about the nature of whitewater and paddling and a lot of philosophical aspects to it, which I think we need to talk about at some point in this conversation, because I think that reflects on some aspect of his paddling that, that I, I want to get some clarification on. Right. Hi. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Welcome to the hammer factor, Ben Mar. Um, yeah, so let's just get right into the philosophy of whitewater. <laughs> There's no reason to beat around the bush here. It's good. So where I'm are you? Down it. I'm in Victoria, BC. Okay. All right. Yeah. I quarantined here. Are you, are you still? You're still quarantining. No, no. But I'm. This is the place where I executed my 14 day cleansing. <laughs> Do you feel Where were you that you needed to do this? Pardon? Where were you that you needed to do this? What were you doing that required this? I was in Zambia. Ah. Um, but yeah, if you're out, <clears throat> if you're out of Canada, when you come back in, unless you are approved at the border for having been on essential reasons to mm. leave, then you just have to do the 14 day. I think running the shit is essential, though. Me too. So I told the guy. He said it wasn't. Gelman, did you read the most recent New Yorker? I feel like this is appropriate with Benny here. The most recent New Yorker that had the article about 
the, the astonishingly low COVID death rates in developing countries? I have not. Fascinating. Like if you look I, at I Africa, read it. I read India, it. the percentage of deaths are far, far less than the developed world, particularly U.S. and Britain, places like that. And they really have no exact reason why. Go figure. Zambia could have been the safest place to be right now. It was. It was well, the greatest place to be. I just yeah. think if you're in Zambia, there's probably other things that are a little more worrisome than the old coronavirus. Well, underreporting is probably part of the picture, for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we could go into the particulars of that. Like You could probably talk about obesity, propensity to smoking, all sorts of other things. That, But that's a different show for right now. Yes, that's correct. Now, Benny, I put a little post out saying we're going to have you on, and there were a lot of good questions that came in from the Hammer Factor audience, but a few of these I just want to jump into real quick here before we get into a little bit uh, deeper dive on some various things. And, you know, these are things that everybody needs to know. First thing, Brian Pettinger, paddle length and offset. Uh, 201 and... 65, 55, and 45. Ooh. All Interesting. Right. Straight shaft, mid shaft. By the end of the Zambezi trip, I was at 200 um, because my arms were sore. Okay. And do you dial back the the uh, the angle there, or does the um, feather stay the same? I was playing with it at the end because I just felt I was sensitive, so I thought it was, it was a good time to tweak things around because – you just we were paddling so much and I, I was getting just i needed a break and i was with dane and dane uses a 30 degree for everything and his reasoning is that um when he needs to stick stick a blade in the water he doesn't want to mess around with the angle. he just needs a blade in the water so he thinks as you get above a 30 degree angle you waste time in getting the blade into the water um, but I don't, I don't really know. <clears throat> gotcha. From right stroke to left stroke. There's, he just, he wants his, like all of his reactive strokes to be as quick as possible. Two Oh one, 45, 55, 65. I like that. Kyle Hall. He says, why is your calendar all GoPro shots? I feel like you need to step it up. <laughs> um, well, the first calendar was maybe one or two GoPro shots, and all the shots I used, I asked for my friends' photos for permission, and I didn't give them any money or anything. I, that was gifts of usage from them. And on the next one, starting in Ecuador, I just paid extra attention to the light in my surroundings each month when I was kayaking, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to see if I can pull one off with all of my own photos. And, and I did, and I like all the photos, Kyle. <laughs> and now, I, and now I have a camera. I have a, I got a, a Fuji X-T4, same camera that the great Eric Boomer uses. And so now I have, I've got photos of other people. So maybe the next calendar will just have no photos of me and other people only and be just a different thing to look at. Trevor Spick. He wants to know, why aren't there any nudes? Well, there was quite a bit of feedback about the nudity, <laughs> especially during the month when people flipped the calendar 
to that photo and from uh there was positive and negative feedback from all genders so uh i think the next calendar will have some more nudity in it (laughs) of you or others pardon of you or others of me (laughs) well moving on um Matthew Wilkinson, he wants to know, he, he's thinking about growing his hair out. Any tips? Stop cutting it. It's okay. Very well said. Uh, Ian Van Stoutmeister, he wants to see your tax returns. Any chance we can get a look at that? Is he an accountant? <laughs> uh, sorts. You <laughs> definitely help me. Oh, uh, and then... Uh, Lastly, before we get into some other stuff here um, from the Peanut Factory, Michael Bone, he wants to know about yoga pants. Uh, is that a question or a? It's the. I, I just if think you to wear a pant and do yoga. You could call that pant a yoga pant. <laughs> <laughs> is there a preferred material or style um, for your yoga practice? Uh, whatever shorts I have close by, I use I just use shorts. Um, sometimes when I do yoga, it's very early in the morning and cold, and then I'll put on pants, loose fitting. Sometimes I feel like, I, I feel like we're wasting this interview. <laughs> we talk about paddling for something comfortable. <laughs> Let's talk about let's talk about Dane Jackson real quick. Is Dane the best whitewater kayaker in the world right now? Uh, in my opinion, that's that's definitely a what I would call him. Yeah, I mean, compare and contrast your approach to paddling hard white water and his approach. Like, are you guys different? I mean, you have some fundamental differences in that in that regard, or is it kind of all turned into the same thing at some point? Um, well, so he, I was just with him for two months and <clears throat> the way that we're different I don't think I mean he's he's just such an animal and he he doesn't make mistakes very often and he makes decisions really quickly whether that's to not do something or to do it um, he and you're talking about like in the context of like looking at a rapid yeah I, I, I would call him the best because in any discipline he has like excelled far past what you would have called the best previous to him. Um, But that doesn't mean to me that he's my absolute favorite to watch. You know, I watch people for different reasons, but -hmm. if you're on the banks of the river, Mm -hmm. you're watching what he's doing because you, something's going to happen. Typically, not always. And he, he just has a boat control that's pretty much unmatched. But that, that also just comes from his history. Like I, I just don't think anyone's got the time in a boat. You could be twice his age. I don't think you have the same amount of time in a boat as him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our differences are... Like when I run something, I'm completely... Like I'm going in, not all the time, but I've accepted that it might not go the way I want it to. And he doesn't seem to accept that. Uh, I don't think he he does anything that he he thinks he's taking much of a risk with his technique and 
placement. And there's a rapid <clears throat> on the lower Zambezi called there's Upper Moemba and Lower Moemba. And Lower Moemba has it's like a river wide waterfall, but the whole river right the water turns against this rock. So say you were actually running the waterfall, you would be looking at river right. And it's not even that far in front of you, maybe 10 feet. And it's dangerous, weird. And I've run it many times at low water, but we went down there this year at high water and we were, we were looking at it and it was just this crazy ledge booth. And maybe you could go over to river right and scout it and run it and it would be like a pretty safe line but it was that's a long day it's like 53 kilometers we were into at that point and <laughs> it's hot we were tired so i didn't i didn't care enough to go over there and i was looking at the line i was like ah, i don't know and dane looked at it pretty quickly and he went and ran it and he did he did say he made mistakes in his approach uh but you can't really tell from the video he really stomps this absolutely horrific ledge booth um and i looked at it and i thought should i shouldn't i and i've just i've come to a point now where it's a lot easier for me to walk things than uh, it used to be especially with big water and besides our age difference um i mean how how, how much different are you guys in age six years that's not a whole lot i, I rock can happen in six years I mean, when do you feel like, I mean, you, you mentioned you started looking at rapids and started to decide to carry them. Was there a, a moment in time where that's suddenly just something switched in your head and you're like, well, I can walk this. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, it's more like ego. When I was on the Baker, I, uh, there's a rapid just called the Portage or the Portage. And we were looking at it. I was with Tyler Brott and Sven Lomler and Sven had run it higher and lower, but we were all walking it. And I was tormenting myself in my head because I didn't want to run it. Um, and I didn't see a line. But the water, you know, the water's going through. And uh, I thought, oh, fuck, like maybe I'm just not running. Maybe this is the beginning of the end of me running big water, white, big water rapids that have been run. Mm -hmm. And then we got back. We went, I don't know what happened. We went. Uh, you mean you'd have different motivation if the rap, the rapid had not been run? Mm, like you'd be more inclined to run it. Maybe I'd want to run it if it hadn't been run, but it was more, I couldn't, I knew I didn't want to run it. And I was like, why don't I want to run it? This is, these are the things that I uh, think I want to do, or I think I should want to do. Mm -hmm. And one day we got there and I looked at it and it was very, it was lower water level and I thought oh yeah I'm running this <clears throat> so I'd gone through this little shift and then I ran it and I swam and that kind of sucked Aniel just posted about he just posted a cool video of him running it um, and same on that same trip on the FUDA I was running the FUDA one day on my own and I was coming up to Zeta and and I was just talking to myself in my head and I was like this is the one that's kind of risky should I just walk it? I was like, there's no one here. It's just me and you, the voice in my head. <laughs> like, <laughs> why are we thinking about running this versus not running it? Like, what's the point in running it? But then also, what's the point in not running it? And together, 
we decided that it's because we run <laughs> shit like this and I ran it. <laughs> so you both agreed it was a good idea. Yeah. Before we get too far into this interview, tell us about your roots in the sport. Were you, your parents paddle? How'd you get into it? How old were you? Obviously, I believe you were an Ottawa kid early on. Give us a little detail on that. Uh, carrying on from my dad's side, <clears throat> they they did canoe trips in Algonquin Park, flatwater canoe trips. And there is a little bit of whitewater in the park. So the first time I went into the park, I was two. Um, and that was a common summer trip as a family. And I think when I was seven, we started interacting. or That's what, when I think I started interacting with whitewater. Uh, so it was whitewater canoeing. And my dad and I would... Uh, take whitewater canoe lessons together and he would also take solo whitewater canoe lessons uh, through I think a variety of places but including Madawaska Canoe Center which is uh, like Katrina Van Wick's family business that her sister now runs, Steffi um, and I sat in a kayak when I was nine I think and I liked it I probably ran a little bit of moving whitewater around then. And then I think I was on the Ottawa by the time I was 11. And I had a, a dancer, a perception dancer, and I had that boat for probably four years. Um, and then the Ottawa River was just, that was the river I went to after that. So we wouldn't, the Madawaska River is a tributary, so we'd probably still go there sometimes, but the Ottawa became the main event. Um, weekend trips, I got left there eventually when I was um, 13, turning 14 that summer. Uh, I stayed on a, this place we used to call it the island, and that's where the island boys lived, and that's Dale Monkman, Hal Monkman, Bruce Monkman, Patrick Camblin, Marlo Long, and some of the, the older YGP movies feature the island and the Ottawa River. And it's, that's when it started to become more obsessive, like through high school. And Chris Grotman's was a big paddling buddy of mine. He, his family's, they're like dual citizens. So not too far from the Ottawa, they've got a house, like a, they call it the cottage, but they would be up there every summer. And he used to pick me up, uh, drive out of, his, out of his way and pick me up and bring me to the Ottawa and let me use one of his kayaks. And that's it. Like I, I went through high school. I did one year of college very close to the Ottawa River. And in that year, Chris emailed us. So I would have been just turned 18. And Chris emailed myself and Kelsey Thompson and Dave Newenhouse and said we should go to the Nile. And that's what we did. I, I stopped going to college and I got a job and saved up money and went to the Nile the next year. Parents excited about that choice? Pardon? Were your parents yeah. excited about that choice? Yeah. Yeah. I told my mom I thought it would be better to save up a similar amount of money that it would cost me to go to school for a year and spend it on this trip, and she agreed. <laughs> Sick. How yeah. old were you? Do you remember? God, I don't know what year this was, but it was the first time I ever met you. It was on the green. Do you remember that trip coming down here? How old were you when that happened? Um, so I was with Max Newasser. So yep. Max Newasser, Chris Grotmans, and I all met 
I'd met Max before on the Ottawa. Uh, he was taking a course with Joey Hitchens. And I think Chris was always the best out of us. And Max was learning quickly, like crazy fast. I'd kayaked longer than Max. But we ended up taking a course together called Junior Development Program, Program JDP. And it was two weeks. So then Max and I drove down there. I guess to paddle, and I'll never forget that day, Grace, because when you piton your brains out on sunshine in front of John Grace, <laughs> mm-hmm. nice. <you> don't forget. <laughs> Baby, sh- you shook it off like a champ, man. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. It would have been high school. It would have been my second trip down there because Chris. I used to work at a rafting company, and um that river running chris was there he he just said man it's raining heaps at home i'm driving home and you should come and it was i'd creek boat i'd gone creek boating once on another tributary to the ottawa with him and spencer cook and it was just this one little waterfall we ran and then we were driving to the southeast and chris was telling me all about the talks way and i had no clue what the talks away was until he kept describing it. I was like, oh my gosh, Chris, is this like what I've seen in LVM, that one with the crazy slides? <laughs> and that that's the first creek I ever ran from from top to bottom. The Toxway? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a good one. <laughs> it's and, a fine introduction to creek boating. <laughs> it was, and, and yeah, I just credit Chris for just constantly telling me, I was like, it doesn't matter that you haven't been in a creek boat too too much because all the things you need you you've learned long ago on the Ottawa. What's the it was boater talk I think because he made a video about it and he got into boater talk conversations about it. <laughs> Being irresponsible, but uh... that was my first trip. Then that trip with Max was the second one. So and I bet it was seventeen. I bet it was sixteen or seventeen. And then fast forward, what year did you run size Ed? Um. 2012 2012 and how old were you then 25 25 wow a lot happened in a few years that when was you got to site when you got to site z that day did you uh did you have an inclination you're going to run it i mean was that you're gearing up for that or just decision you made on the fly right there that would like how we were talking about seeing that lower moemba or the portage on the baker when i'm looking at something and thinking like this is part of like me to run stuff <clears throat> it probably started at site Z where um i didn't have no i didn't i wasn't going there expecting to run it i hadn't even heard of it like i didn't have a grasp of the river in my head i didn't have a map and i'd met doug ammons just before at, at boomer's house in mccall and he's the one who said there's a rapid in there that no one's ever run before he said it's got about it's got four really massive features and it's it's definitely possible but no one's done it so that's the first i'd heard of it so it was on my mind the whole time but because i'd never had seen the river or felt it outside of um outside of you know media from like lvm and uh one of russia's movies which one was that? Um, and then, and then the stories, of course, and the stories about the Sakin are pretty dark and gloomy and rainy, like they're very intense stories. So, 
I just kind of went in and felt it out and it's such a good river. It's really classic white water. So by the time we got there, um, I was, I just, I just looked at it with just open mind and open eyes and saw that, yeah, the water doesn't never really gets held up anywhere. So I was with Evan. We were, and we used to, we used to portage so high. It was just, that's what people would do. They get up high. Um, so we got, we were portaging up and up and up and Evan put his boat down. He said, man, it's not that bad. And I put my boat down and looked at it. I just left my boat there and spent the rest of the day scouting. And again, like the voice in my head is just ridiculous. <laughs> I was going to cue that up. How was that conversation? God, it was wild. <laughs> I, was so, um, I was so concerned about um, what everybody else thought. Like I've always been like that, um, like insecure or just like not super high outward self-confidence. It's like so, thinking that because it's been carried so much, you must have this wrong. I, some of it was, you know, I thought like who's been here and why didn't they run it and what, what else could have been going on? Like, you know, a lot of it is weather, um, air temperature, time of year. We were there in August. So it was warm out mm-hmm. and that, that was, there hadn't, I don't think there'd been that many trips through there that early in the summer, or I guess that's kind of late summer. Um, but it's early stikine season for sure. Super early stikine season. And I, my, my, I was worried that I was like, what if, do they think I'm scouting this just so <laughs> that they think I'm considering it? Like, and, I, and I have to keep shutting myself up and be like, stop it. Like, look at the holes. Like, look at the holes. Can you get through? And I just kept going up and down. Um, and, then, and then I think the next morning I just spent a lot of time looking at the bottom feature. Yeah, I mean, that night, are you nervous or you just put it out of your mind? Uh, I, th- I just, I wasn't nervous. I was just thinking about it. And it was a lot of wonder. I was like, I wonder, like, I wonder what I'm going to feel like. And I, I didn't. I hadn't settled into a feeling yet. I was just wondering what it would be like. So in the morning I ate, I tried to move quickly and I, I just went back to scouting and walked around and everyone was super cool with waiting um, while I made up my mind. Would it be safe to say that you kind of had made your mind up? You were just trying to let that be acceptable. I think that's what happens now and in the past like five years where you make up your mind and I don't like attack. Like if I've made up, you make up your mind pretty quickly and you don't latch onto it. And then you're just like putting all the pieces in place that is different for every, everybody, what you need to see and what you need to feel before you go. But I, I think in the morning I, I was constantly doubting it. I was like, why, like, why didn't, what am I not seeing? And the very, if you see the, if you see pictures of it now there's this rock and even if if you look at a Cirrusolsus burrows production it's just it's just Oniel and Jared and in that they're standing on this rock and you can see the crack in it and that's now broken apart but when that rock was so this this is probably around when the same year they did the Adidas sick line thing which is probably 2013 because that's when Jared ran it and you can see the crack in the rock and that rock broke and the line changed. So 
what I was most worried about was the reactionary coming off of that rock. I didn't know if I could get my boat up and over it because um, it was so big. Is that the very top feature where you're on the far yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And now there's that rock's broken, so there's water. There's like pressure going through. Um, and then if you look at uh, oh, I just blanked his name. That's not good. Um, so it's it's you know the first part that I ran like you're kind of like on river right and you're just kind of changing your boat angle and choosing when to put in speed. So that kind of that feeling's now extended past that rock where you're just kind of like oh like I hope nothing. Yeah crazy happens to take my bow because you just need to be pointed there and you, you go past but i was just really worried that i was going to get to that feature and just get kicked left or back ended and that would be the start of many seconds of just being like damn it like <laughs> plan b because um, of the whole rapid i just i'm always just trying to move right basically grace did you ever how close are you to running that rapid john grace on two situations, I really saw the line and really wanted to run it. Um, I one time I felt a little um, a little rushed on it. It was uh, we kind of were in a little bit of a rush, and the other time, um, a bunch of people in our group had a really bad experience on the river that day, and it was almost like I didn't want to. Like you're talking about, like I kind of wanted it and I kind of saw it, but it was like the dynamic of the day, it wouldn't have been right. I don't. I don't what was the bad experience? Oh, we just had some swims upriver and stuff. We had a swim at Wassons and like, <clears throat> and but but then, you know, I was kind of like, ah, we'll shake this off. Everybody will go to sleep and whatever, and we'll see in the morning. But the river came up like three feet overnight, and it was a totally different place. Um, but you know that was a that really stood out to me um, as a like a pinnacle achievement in the sport of things that have happened. Much like when Tyler ran um, Peluse and like just very big things that happened. But what was crazy about that time was this came out. You ran this rapid. I was jaw dropped. You know, I was just like fanboy all the way and whatever. And what made the news of Whitewater was the drainage ditch up there that i mean what's the name of it i'm drawing a blank on the name of it. yeah and friggin' and that was all over and you like look on social media and there's like 17 million views of this and like there's a video of you running site z and it's got like 3400 yeah. views and i'm like what is going on you know yeah. i remember being like this is so weird but no that was uh i, I remember just just being in awe and just being like just seeing the transformation and the growth and just like, you know, that's why I wanted to ask that time from when you were on the green all the way up to there, you know, so many, so many things happened in that time. I mean, when you got done with the rapid, were you like, yeah, were you just kind of like, what was your stoke with the rest of the trip? Like, how did you ride it out? Um, the way when I, when I was going through the rapid, my, what I ended up, doing was that I thought if I can get myself in front of that bottom hole anywhere from center left of that hole to anywhere right um like if I can make it there whether I'm upside down right side up is like I know I can deal with the rest of the rapid um 
no, 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 no. I mean, like you're going down through the rest of the river. You got the whole day Chicago. You've got all yeah. of the rest of the stuff. Like how well, is I still, your... I still didn't have an idea of like what the rest of the rapids look like because oh, I, okay. I kind of went in like as soon as I saw the river, I just thought, okay, wash away everything that you've thought, seen, or heard, and have your own experience. So as we moved through and we got to pass fail and that was sweet and Wassons and then scouting sites Ed and running that, uh, you know, I just finished running it. We all met up and then just started day two and we did run it in three days. <clears throat> and as we went through, it was, it's just good. Like it's just it's beautiful and it's good white water. And we got to the wall and that was one where, you know, the only, Evan had run the river once before and Mikel had run the river once or twice before. And they just, they wanted us to run that. Uh, there were seven of us. So they wanted the five of us who hadn't run the river to just have this experience going down the wall. And it was the time of day that the sun's coming into your eyes, which is, is just, it was just funny. So we, we just ran this rapid on beta and then you camp, um, you know, then you, you run Garden of the Gods and you're at this iconic camp, Wolf Tracks. And same, we're just, I don't know, it was just fun. And um, in the morning we're getting in and, and Evan was like, I'm not letting you walk anything today. <laughs> and it hadn't, I hadn't thought about like, oh, because if I don't, then besides running Site Z, then I get to have a complete descent. I hadn't thought of it. Um, so I started, I knew a little bit more about day two because Max had a really awful experience in there with, um, Austin Rothman, who like he had had a swim and on his first trip at Wasson's, he and Max went in one year, camped the first night, the water came up and they decided to run everything out on day two and Max's story of he, they're just getting flushed one after another into these rapids. One of them would catch a and Eddie, the other would miss it. So they, they just had to rally down the section. So I was trying to think of everything in my head and we got to scissors. It had changed. It just wasn't that bad. Like some people got out and started walking and Evan and I called everyone back up because it, it was just, it wasn't what we thought it would be. And then hold it at Chicago <clears throat> coming into that's one of my favorite little rapids, big rapids. And then hold it at Chicago now is something that's on my mind. If I'm, if it's, you know, if I'm going to be interacting with it that day, it's the one that I'm always like, fuck, like thinking about making sure that I, I approach it with high energy and having just like prepared a bit because it's kind of gnarly. And when we got there, I just, Evan and I scouted it from river left, which is pretty committing to running one of the main lines you can run left to all the way right or you can run it down the left or you can portage a little bit on the right and then kind of run out the outflow and it was good like i just i did the same thing i just went down the river like it was another river that i hadn't run before <clears throat> and a lot of it too a lot of there's a lot of excitement for v drive that kind of pulls you through some of those those bigger rapids towards the bottom uh, uh. Hmm. Kind of got cold, cold chills thinking about the stikine there. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's so thick. 
and no one's been in there. Like last year, uh, there was a request from BC Whitewater to just be re really respectful of the wishes of that northern community, um, and <clears throat> the northern community was was reaching out and just saying we don't want uh, visitors up here. We really want to protect everybody from uh, COVID exposures. So no one was going up there, but I kept watching the levels and it was so high. You wouldn't have gone up anyway. And so the next lap in there, I think I would expect to see some changes. Like it was up over a thousand QMEX for a long time and even up over, I think 1800 QMEX for a stretch there. Oh, wow. That's going to be super interesting. That river yeah, changes a lot. Over yeah. all the times I've ran it, it was pretty much different every time. Yeah. Hmm. All right, let's transition from there into... That was a big ev evolution, a big jump forward. And then how many years later was it when you and Aniel, I believe, two runs in a day, no portages? Is that... And yeah. How, tell me how that happened were you guys talking about hey let's do this or how did how did that come to be yeah the the year after i went back and i did two runs i did not run site z and it was it looked the same and i i basically just came to the the thought that i got lucky because i was looking at the same moves and i was like i don't know if i can do that again and then jared ran it uh the following year i don't think we were up there and the, it was the year after that that Aniel and i went and we ran it <clears throat> six times over just under two weeks and it would have been on one of those campfires because we we'd, we'd only do two day runs to make sure we were on the river every single day um, and running lots of white water each day and you just you you start spending less time on the water and more time at camp even just doing two days and we did a couple one days that were taking us under six hours I think um, and it's, it's long days, so we just, I was like, I bet we could do it twice. And the next year, Jared came up, and that's what we did. We spent a bunch of time running laps and then went for it on a two-day. And it was, I wanted to do, I think on our first lap down, we were, we were at Site Z, I think, before 7 in the morning, and we ran it, but you can you can run it and then kind of scoot right and it's not necessarily comfortable because it's scrapey and still fast, but you're not going to get beasted in that hole. Um, and that year, we'd, we'd also run it quite high that year, almost as high as Aniel's high descent. And as the water came down, like I always wait for the bottom hole to look good to start running Site Z, and the bottom hole never looked good. And I, when I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, it's because you were seeing it. Whereas the other year, I never walked down there to look at it. So it probably always looks bad. <laughs> <laughs> it just always goes. <laughs> to some extent, you know, I've seen Aniel get stuck in there. I've seen Miria get stuck in there. But yeah, two in a day just seemed like a huge effort, but uh, possible. And we just kind of rode that, that possibility. I know that Aniel, I think in the first lap, he had some doubts that he kind of kept to himself to to mull over and see how it went throughout the day and by the time by the time we got to the truck and I was driving up for for the the second one I I felt I felt then like this this is good like I'm not worried about this 
I, I reserved, uh, you know, bandwidth to for like for problems along the way because it's a lot of white water to to run. But I had a really nice settled feeling um, all through that second lap, no matter where we were. Like I was still on my toes, but I I just felt like it was. <clears throat> I just had a really good sense of security that all three of us were going to finish and, and really enjoy it. What time did you get to the truck on your first run? I can't remember. Um, both, both runs were like between six hours and 15 to 20 minutes. Like there was only about five minutes. I think it was like 618 and 620. Um, That's wild. Yeah. They are super consistent on timing. That's rolling. <laughs> Were you tired? Yeah, but <laughs> that was our eighth and ninth <clears throat> consecutive runs too. So we were already tired. Like we were just kind of settled into that that fatigue where you have you have access to all your strength, um, but it's I think it's that that's when it you start you switch over from like excitement and stoke into like mindset and relying on your body to execute the demands basically. I feel like you're like, you're like more thoughtful about like what you're thinking and what you're feeling when you're doing these things than like anybody I know. And like how much of that is, is things that you just like figured out. I mean, I, I know it's, like your creativity and like thinking about all of it, but like how much of it is like, like are there influences that helped like bring you to this like headspace for running the shit, you know? I think, I think because I I used to think of um, insecurity and lack of self-confidence as a weakness. And then I was able to, over time, you like accept, I accept things about myself and it turns into a strength where I just feel like insecure. And now I feel self-aware where it's like, I like how much I think. And <clears throat> a lot of it, cause I, I spend a lot of time in my own head, like rolling things around, but then say I'm paddling with annual, like those, those six laps that we did together, we didn't talk huge amounts on the water. And we created this dynamic where we didn't have to, and there was times where I felt like I'm just here to make sure that he's okay. And he's here to make sure I'm okay as we explore this river and uh, this endurance and this unknown. Cause it's, we were, we were really like spending a lot more time up there. And, you know, if it, if it's statistically, you know, I'm, I'm worried more about driving now than when I was a kid because I drive a heap. I drive a lot at night. I drive long distances. I've never had a crash. I've been driving since I'm like 14. That's 20 years. So I've got like 20 years of driving without crashing. Like, shit, like I need to like dial up my awareness so I don't mess it up. And like every lap I do down the stakeen that works... I'm like, okay, that was good, but don't forget about the numbers game. And watching Anuel, and I don't know what he's thinking about, but I make assumptions about what he's thinking about. And it's always that, like, he's better than me, he's faster than me, he's stronger than me. So that's, like, 
the carrot that I'm chasing. And then you add Jared into that picture, same thing. And then paddling with the Lomlers, like I'm always having self-deprecating thoughts that motivate me to like shut up basically. So that's how I approach a lot of endurance stuff. It's like, I just think like someone else would be able to do it so I can do it. But what, what was your, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, just no, no, like no. where you were, just keep like, going. Where you were going. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. Like when you were talking about, you know, that process of turning, you know, feeling self-conscious into being self-aware, like, you know, there are a lot of people who are self-conscious who don't have the ability to, you know, make that transition. Like, and I guess I'm just, thinking about like i don't know like you're it's like i feel like you've put in a lot of work and thought into arriving at the like mental states that you want to be in on a consistent basis you know like i guess i'm sort of wondering about that journey does that make sense yeah i i really attribute a lot as well to the ottawa river and surfing out of holes and not being able to surf out of holes when i was younger like just the buoyancy that you carry like your weight to the buoyancy of the life jacket and your weight to the buoyancy that's held inside a kayak that's too big for you you just get stuck in these holes and then that comfort coming with you when you're bigger and you have better boat control um so when and it's very specific like like i don't paddle certain types of white water because I'm trying to be around the whitewater that I like more of, but I'm very uncomfortable in certain types of whitewater. Uh, like what like, kind of whitewater makes you nervous? Um, really steep, really shallow. Like when you're, when you're, when your hull's interacting a lot with rocks. Like the talks away. Yeah. <laughs> I would be nervous, very nervous, uh, putting on the talks away and there's just a learning curve. That I think would happen fast, but um, like I, I really like the Green River. That is a super fun river. The first time I ran it was with Chris that first trip, and it was 250%. And I remember watching him. Well, I remember standing at at uh, the pad, and Chris. We were just talking about the line, and Chris just said, "By the way, you're walking this." And I said, "Oh, okay." Thank <laughs> <laughs> And, and I walked down and I watched him run it and it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen someone do in a kayak and it still is a burning memory seeing him turn that corner and put a boof in. That was really cool. But I like to be, I like my boat to be in the water. I like my entire paddle blade to be in the water. That's what makes me comfortable and happier. Like the, um, I just, I love that type of white water. So I try to interact with it as much as possible but if you put me like if i went to the southeast to paddle i'd be uncomfortable because i would i would feel like i can't paddle it as well as i would like to um and it's a really big there's a lot of people there like the whitewater community there's super big so i would feel like under pressure to be like a good kayaker where in a in an environment where i don't think i'm that good um so you put together a crew of paddlers, right? And on one hand, you have, like, Dane. And I don't know Dane that well, but I know his dad pretty well. And, you know, EJ does stuff because he's like, I'm right. Of course I'm right. I can do that. Done. That's his, that's that's the decision-making process. 
you know, um, and he goes full full in, you know, completely confident that it's going to happen according to plan. And for what you described to Dane, it's kind of the same process. It seems like there's a lot more mental gymnastics going on in your head when you approach a really hard rapid. Um, I mean, when you're putting together a group of paddlers, do you, is there a tension between you and Dane when you guys are paddling together because you're so different in the way you approach stuff? Or is it like you and Annual, it's a, it's a chemistry that works? I, I love paddling with Dane. I, I like watching how he how he moves around. Um, no, there's no tension. It's very different. I mean, do you envy his ability not to worry about these kind of things? No, like I, I really like, I, I like how I kayak, mm-hmm. and there's things I'm, I'm still working on changing. Um, but it, I'm just, I'm trying to make changes and develop my technique to help me kayak better, but still like the way my own body works. Um, I like watching Dane. I like watching that. It's it's cool. Like I I can't remember who I've talked to about this, but if you go to an event, you're kind of I'm kind of just rooting for Dane. You know, it'd be cool for someone else to win, but I'm like, nah. It will be cooler if he doesn't stop losing. I think that's <laughs> more interesting than someone coming in and winning. Um, like when we were at North Fork, and I, I was I was at I was doing safety and just watching Morley. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so cool, like. This is a contest and other people too. But I remember just watching Morley from where I could, he's just so relaxed and there's no intensity in his face or in his body or in his boat. And like, oh, this is cool. I was like, yeah, but like, I want Joe to win, but I also don't want Dane to lose. So he's got, and I'm I'm like that in, you know, we on the Zam, we'd be doing um, kickflips or something. You're just like watching, like, it's going to happen. Like he's going to do something that I haven't seen done before. The boat's going to get further into the air than I've seen. Um, so I'm like mentally, yeah, I'm just like, I'm a, I'm a fan for sure. And I like paddling with him cause I can learn, uh, just like watching his, his forward strokes. And I, I try to watch cause I'm interested in the forward stroke. I'm watching like how long his paddles in the water. I try to watch him and compare it to what he said before to see like what is theory in his head and what actually happens when his hands hitting the water. Um, but yeah, paddling with him on EG, anybody, uh, Kyle Hall is sick to paddle with. Like it you just, I like to watch, watch them as much as I can. Who's um, technically the best paddler you've paddled with a, a whitewater paddler. I don't know. Like where do you take the most pleasure watching? It's, it's it's a mix of like when if you do a, like a race day with Kyle it's like he, he jokes around like if it's under f- four minutes or if it's under five minutes he's like I've got it he's like I can compete but once it gets longer he doesn't he doesn't like doing longer endurance um, Dane Dane and Sven I would put in the same category uh, the second time I ran the little white with Sven, which would be, you know, under five foot, higher than four and a half. Uh, we took him down once. And on the next run, I was in front because I had all this experience. But he kept tapping my stern. And I just pulled over and was like, whatever, dude. And he didn't need to see. He didn't need to rely on the laps that he'd 
had mm. to comfortable. He was comfortable because of what he could see in front of him. And I see that in Dane as well. They have a similar, they can take a lot in and then execute a line that's as smooth as if it was the 10th time they've run it in a row. Um, and then Anuel just has a, <clears throat> he's pretty effortless, but he, he's like intense. He doesn't come across as intense, but with the way he paddles, I think he's, he's pretty intense, but it, that intensity comes out in, in strength and being online and in his confidence. Um, but those three, is that three or four? Like EG, Anuel, Sven, and, and Dane. Um, those are the people who you get to see, like, like whether I'm paddling with them or more importantly when I'm not, I get to see footage of them kayaking. There's other people who are, you know, so good, but I'm not paddling with them and I don't see footage of it. So I just don't have, I don't spend as much time watching and paying attention. If you were teaching a class, if you had like a clinic here, <clears throat> and you covered the topic of solving these insecurities and arriving at a place of awareness, how would you explain someone to do that? Like, is there a tip? Is there something that you've learned that you can talk yourself into that confidence and awareness? Yeah, I think working backwards and, and not just from like the eddy at the bottom, but sometimes you're like, okay, what's my goal? My goal is to be at the river right bottom eddy with a feeling of of having paddled that rapid to my to my ability and it going well. And you go you like to find the line, you can go back through that to the top eddy where you'd peel out. <clears throat> but most like when you're insecure about something, you have to ask I think you have to ask like why, or if you're afraid of something. I'm afraid of that hole. Like, why are you afraid of that hole? Because if I go into it, I don't know how I would, or I don't think I'll come out of it. Or if I go into it, I don't know how to get out of it. That's a problem. If you don't know how to get out of it, if you don't think you'll come out of it, but you know how you would start to try getting out of it, like you look at the hole and look, okay, if I go this way, if I go this way, like, where's the water coming out of the hole? And then, and then when there's a sticking point like that, like zoom out, be like, is it worth it? How badly do I want to start at the top and end up at the bottom and zoom back in on that hole? And, and then the big, I think the big thing is, why are you afraid? Like, why are you afraid is easier to answer than why you are afraid and what you are afraid of can be easy to answer. But the actual risks of that fear coming true are harder to answer because then you have to say like oh, I'm not I don't know for certain that it's going to be okay <laughs> and if all you're risking is a swim like the like what are you then like things go wrong like is your like life at risk are you at risk of bouncing down rocks or is it just uncomfortable you're at risk of basically having to hold your breath not dying most likely, but holding your breath and having that awful feeling of like when you miss rolls, it doesn't take missing more than one roll for the awful feeling to start and how big that feeling is 
depends. Like sometimes it's very small and it takes time to grow. Other times it's in this one role and it just like, that's all there is, is this feeling. And that's why you see people, they don't even miss a role and start carping. They just carp. Like they're just, they're just like fighting to get their head above water. And, and if you, it's, it's tough. Like I, it's, it's mainly holes. I think that, that really freak people out because you're, you're stuck. Um, but I think having a, having a part of your process being, uh, like this act of identifying what you're afraid of and why, because you could be just afraid of it because your last run wasn't good. You could be afraid of it because you've never done it before. Uh, you could be afraid of it because of someone else's experience. And you can be afraid of it because it's the one I like is when you're afraid of it because you know you're going to do it. And <laughs> this, you're like, so you have this fear that you have to manage and you can't ignore it, but you have to, because you have to bring it with you, but you can't let it take over your body. You can't let it uh, take over your reactions and, and when you when you go through all that, you're like, okay, what am I actually risking? That's a tough one to answer. But the and it's different for everybody. Like the you could be risking a shoulder coming out because you have had a shoulder come out. But what I find is like what you're actually risking when it involves pain or not being able to breathe, then you have to think about the pain and not being able to breathe and how likely it is, how unlikely it is, what you need to do to avoid that and then all of that comes into this yes or no which is like what are you willing to risk for that reward and how big how important is that reward um, when we were growing up uh, McEwen was our mentor and he would always say if if you're afraid of if you're afraid to run a rapid just because you're afraid then you should do it so if you're afraid of getting hurt then you should probably really think about it more that's been good advice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No one wants to get hurt. <laughs> what about, it seems like you've, uh, I want to get into this Chilco trip that you did, 30 hours on the Chilco at some point. But before we talk about that trip, well, go ahead and tell me about, I, I want to get into the basics of endurance. There's a level of clarity and, emotion that goes along with endurance things you know it triggers like emotions i don't know if you've experienced any of these um it's 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 one thing to do something fresh and to do it quick and to do it once but to repeat it over a certain amount of time and then make it longer and then you start diving into not only muscle fatigue but you get into sleep deprivation and you, you really kind of find this place it's a it's a hard kind of place to get to but it's oddly satisfying for me. Um, when it comes to endurance paddling, what's, what's your take on it? Like what, what inspired you to do this 30 hours on the Chilco? And I want to hear about that, but I, I kind of want your take on endurance paddling before we get into that. I think in the same way that when, when I see something impressive, another thing that I realized about myself was like, I'm a, I don't know if there's a better term, but like a hero, I always, I've always had heroes 
I called it like hero worshiping. Like I've always had heroes and it, they, it seemed either, either from a movie, like you watch a movie when you're a kid, it's like, I want to be like that person or even being even as shallow as like, oh, I want to look like that or I want to do sports that well. And then it was skateboarding and snowboarding and then kayaking. So I always had skateboarding heroes, snowboarding heroes, kayaking heroes. And now with, I'm definitely within this age group where endurance, I think it's not just because of what I look at. I think it's a, the age that I'm in is I'm 34. And that's, a, I think, a common age that people are, are, their bodies are good for endurance. But I think your mind is also better for it. And when I would watch, you know, like marathons don't really interest me that much. And even half marathons or whatever, like the, but then you, I started hearing about ultra marathons and that was intriguing. Cause like, that is so cool. It's so hard. It's, and I didn't understand it. And like, you can, what you can under, it's like, why, why is the drainage ditch a guaranteed virus? viral videos because you can understand the speed basically and the sounds and the hooting and hollering like you, you don't need to kayak to understand how fast it's going and you don't need to be a runner or have, have run a half or a full marathon to understand how hard it would be for yourself to do something for 12 hours straight or 24 hours straight or 36 hours straight whatever it is and there's um there's a podcast on joe rogan with uh, courtney dewalter and she's just it's just so cool what she's done uh like finishing races 12 hours ahead of you know the person the second place finisher but she says she always stays for the end of the race because that's when the true warriors come in uh people who she'll do something in however many hours and then people are coming in like at four day mark and she's like that's harder like it's harder to be out there that long and because because you're in your head three times as long as she is or something um and courtney she wins the races outright yeah I mean, she, she beats the boys you know like mm-hmm. and the longer it is so that whole world is just i find it fascinating and uh i've watched a lot pretty much everything I can find about her, but there's this other guy, Rob Carr, who he's done these races where it's just, it's kind of cool to see the different types of people who are doing them. And again, I, I think that my interest in it came from, um, being just really impressed by the people who've done them and kind of wanting, wanting that and either, like wanting the experience but also i know part of me wants the accolade of having done something um that i look at as being impressive and in kayaking it's uh it was nice to start doing these things kind of slowly and to feel good about it like running the stikine twice in the day i like that because i wanted i thought okay i'm gonna run site z twice in a day that's cool and one of those runs i'm plugging the hole I did. And I was like, I'm going to run all these rapids twice. I was like, that's, that's neat. It's like, I'm going to run this river twice instead of once in three days or once in two days. Um, I like that 
digestion, all that, all that digestion. And then, you know, the pay attention to like team beer running the grand Canyon in 34 hours. It's like, Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) And, And, uh, I can't. I don't know his name off the top of my head, but the the record, the official world record holder for twenty four hours paddled in a in a kayak on a river up on the Yukon. Um, you know his the amount of kilometers he put into that twenty four hours. I also just can't pull that number up. And then, but like I liked reading about it and and Todd Brendan. Oniol and Tyler running that section of the middle fork, uh, like 460 kilometers, I think around there in 24 hours. So it's just it's like, what do you go through? And I like the idea of, of, of not quitting versus quitting. And towards the end of my trip in Africa, I got my hands on this rowing machine and, uh, I was supposed to, I was just going to do 2,500 and that went by quick. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to push for 10,000 meters and see how, see if I can get it close to 40 minutes. Cause that was my friend whose rower it was said it, that's hard to do. And I ended up like physically being in a place that I have, I don't get to like my heart rate and my breathing, but also I've never wanted, and I pushed and I, I was like 40, I was under 41 minutes. And then at the end of my, I borrowed his machine and I wanted to get under 40 minutes and I, my heart rate was in, according to the watch I wear in zone five for like, uh, 26 minutes. And it was just like, it's like, Oh my God, this is brutal. And I'm in Africa too. Eh? So like <laughs> it's hot and, and I quit. And it was this amazing thing to witness because I was like, like I was audible. I had like 700 meters left or something and I hadn't, made a lot of endurance to me too is again like the conversations you have in your head you're like should i get out here should i how do i you're basically like how do i not do what i've set out to do and <laughs> when i'm on the rowing machine and i'm looking at all the numbers in front of me and i'm like okay what am i what do i do here like do i do i make it to ten thousand, no matter what the time and i decided no like i'm gonna stop at 40 minutes and then i'll have this amount of meters that I failed because I could tell I wasn't going to be under and that 700 meters to go 38 minutes, whatever. I just put the thing down and I was like, wow, that I didn't even decide to do that. It was like, uh, I was taking care of myself. <laughs> it was crazy <laughs> to quit and not having thought of quitting. So I think a lot of endurance, the intrigue is, is again, knowing what can be done and, seeing if you are someone who can do it. And a lot of that ends up in your head, I think, because it, as intense as it can get, most of the GoPro I have from the Chilco, Chilcote and Fraser is, it's me like leaning in my boat. You know what I mean? And some of it was <laughs> intense, but like I, when I'm paddling and my arms are up, like you're not moving fast, but the intensity that you feel in your mind and your body is high. And I, I just, I'm into it. What, what about the sleep deprivation? That was cool. Uh, the I, I put on 
for that. I've never had, I've never felt that before. And I, yeah, I've heard about it, read about it. And well, real quick, what's what's the trip? A lot of people out there don't know anything about this. What did you do exactly? Well, I wanted I wanted to try doing anything. Well, not anything. I wanted to be kayaking for 24 hours. And I was thinking about doing it in the ocean. Um, and I actually spoke to Nate Klima. I was like, yeah, man, I don't want to go do this in the ocean. But I'm, I just want to stay up and move for 24 hours. And he he reminded me and he told me go go do the Chilco Chilco and Fraser which is so the there's a lake in northwesternish BC called Chilco Lake and that's the headwaters of the Chilco uh, which I can't remember how many kilometers that is and then it confluences and becomes the Chilcotin which hits the Fraser River which is one of the bigger uh, rivers in in BC that kind of goes north to south and then right to Vancouver and what kind of white water are we talking about? The Chilco, by the time you hit the Fraser, I was at like 240 kilometers, I think. So um, the Chilcotin had about 150 to 250 Cumex. So class what? Class, I mean, this one you could, it'll be class five for somebody, class three for some, it's like class three to five, depending on how experienced you are. Um, but it's probably a class four run if, if someone what do you mean how experienced you are usually class five is class five uh because you could it's like situ i i look at it as situational like you it's it's continuous cold and the rapids aren't small so maybe it's class five but if it's daytime and you've been kayaking for 20 years you're not going to be like scouting anything like it's mm -hmm. class five you know it's in the class five spectrum sure but all right um and the Chilco was, you know, it's lake to, I guess there's, there's debris to worry about. Um, it's beautiful. It's really cool. I think typically people do a five to seven day trip and it's rafted. Um, there's a couple canyons on the Chilcotin and, and the, so when you get off the Chilcotin and you confluence with the Fraser at that point I had about, um, 5,000 Cumex in the Fraser, I think, <clears throat> which grew and grew until you take on the Thompson. And then I was in about 7,200 Cumex, which, which is, yeah, the, that's a lot. Like that's <laughs> no one, very few people paddle in that amount of, of water, uh, especially when there's rapids in it. In my experience, like the highest volume outside of the Congo, which is like way different. That's the highest volume I've been in. And then the rest would be falling into some of the bigger river systems in Quebec that are get up to over a thousand and like rarely, rarely into 2000. Um, and when you get so at that flow, fun. you're fighting swirlies, eddy line. Yeah. You know, it's like, even if there's not a rapid, you're fighting something. It seems like. Yeah. And so you, in 24 hours, you went from what like you did, you did all three. Yeah. So my, and this, I started with like a moving target of goals. You know, I, I had a, a friend who was helping me with shuttle. And because there, we, there were all these points where the road either crosses the river or he could access and he was going to kind of, he wanted to be at those points to take photos or, or videos. Were you self-support though beyond that? Yeah. Um, 
so he so i had all these potential exits because as soon as i was paddling you know through a night or for longer than i ever had or if i had some other issue uh, i was worried about losing energy just from like a nutrition standpoint because i've never done anything like that so i had all these exits which was harder in my head because then i i knew how easy it would be to stop and i put on it so i i put on in choco lake with the idea of getting to hope bc which would be 515 kilometers ish um i'd scouted on the drive up i'd scouted every big rapid that i identified from google earth and except for one this landslide that you can't really get to a new rapid so as i started i just i had i picked 10 landmarks that i knew roughly the mile marker for if you will and i just memorized those 10 things so i could i just said i just wrote them down a bunch of times and said them in my head so that i always had had them to think about and know where i was roughly in the overall effort so i put on i wanted to put on at one it ended up being two with the plan being that i would arrive at this landslide with daylight and not have to deal with that at nighttime so i paddled through the day it got dark paddled through a lot of cool canyons and beautiful white water at night on the chilcotin do you have a and light or full moon or anything how were you navigating um <clears throat> i had a headlamp but the and it's a good headlamp it's uh super bright i had an extra battery and but if it was on and i was in white water it would just reflect the white water would reflect light back so i kept it off in um a lot of the time and you could hear if it got loud i'd turn it on because i wanted to see but sometimes you could just hear like i could hear that i was close to shore so i would move away from the sound or like if, if any wood or anything, you'd hear it before you'd see it. Um, it was kind of like going on and off for that. But on the Fraser, I could, it was spooky to enter the Fraser and just have the whole, like all your, the sensations underneath you change so quickly. Um, but on the Fraser, it was, it was nice to, I could turn it on, but I didn't need it. But the same thing, you could hear a boil, you could hear a whirlpool. Um, so I was just trying to stay in the middle. And the light came up and I hit the, <clears throat> the landslide at like 6.30 in the morning. Um, there's a road there because this thing slid and the salmon couldn't get up it. So they've been doing a lot of work there trying to create passage for fish. So I could have gotten out and walked around the whole thing. But I, my curiosity pulled me to the last corner that I could... I, I could see around and I just, I knew if I turned the next corner, I'd be running it. And then I carried my shit way up this like goat path scramble, scouted the rapid. And I, I was torn about being respectful to the landslide and anyone who might see me by continuing to walk, which looked like it would take a lot of time, but it was so early. I just, I went down a different path and ran it and it was, it was really exciting. It was a big rapid to run in a green boat. Um, and from there, that was the grind that whole next day. It was just grinding, uh, running the landmark rapids and keeping that green boat from turning around. I flipped once. I was super bummed. 
the only flip I had. Uh, this whirlpool grabbed the stern when I was like leaning back. <laughs> Did you make it to hope? No, I quit. I quit. <laughs> that's, the, that's the end. You quit. That's the story. I quit. Um, God. Yeah, there's bridge. Why bridge didn't you River talk Rapids. to that buddy of yours? And <laughs> yeah, I uh, I made it through Bridge River Rapids, and from there down, yeah, just like paddling hard. Then there's this this really tight pinch in the river, that was scary. And what's cool, so sleep wise, I could um I could relax, and fall asleep. Like I would drift drift asleep, and as soon as I would lose balance, I my head would come up. So I kept doing, it was kind of fun to just be like, this is crazy to be so tired that all I have to do is close my eyes and all like goes off. <clears throat> and then it's called uh, the gates. What's it called? Hell's gate. The whole, the 7,200 QMAX going through this thing. And it was wild, but you get to a rapid and I have all the energy all the muscle power I need to do it. I really liked that too. Um, it makes me not want to try to do anything on the Yukon because you'd have no rapids to excite you and to wake <laughs> you up. Um, and I went through that and I'm getting close to the end. And yeah, this, this quit moment. <clears throat> so as far as like what I felt on my body, I was getting a lot of abrasion on the back of my armpits. Um, and my, I'd worn a heart rate monitor and I guess what people do is they put on this stuff called boob lube. I didn't know this. Uh, so the heart rate monitor was just like wearing on me. Uh, so that was very uncomfortable. You I know, saw I some wet. pictures of that. Yeah. The, everything was just like, those things were creeping in and becoming more important. Like my uncomfort was becoming a bigger deal and I was coming up on the last rapid, which was nothing difficult but to, to be in the right spot and just stay away from these massive eddy lines and whirlpools and there was an island that marked this rapid and i saw this island and it was <clears throat> a false it's like when you're on the sinkeen and you're like you're like oh this is this is whole day chicago no it's not no it's not and so you're in this you always it's like these false you're so excited and you're so nervous that you you keep thinking you're there and you're not there and I thought it was there and I started getting confused and I was like, ah, I don't know what to do. And then I, I went to shore and I checked my phone and I had service. I looked at the map and all the, I just, I was so clouded with my judgment because I wanted to stop that. I decided I couldn't remember the line and that I had to get out. <laughs> so I ran, I paddled down a little bit further. I got out, I texted my friend and, um, I was, I was far from the start of that rapid. I was about four kilometers from the bottom of it. And I texted him. I was like, dude, I'm getting out. And as soon as I took off my dry suit, I was like, you just quit. Like, it, it was, it's like <laughs> of over and the dry suit gasket was off of my neck. And I was like, like the, the line of the rapid came back to me in a second. And, I was like, oh. <laughs> and that was uh, 480 five kilometers in 32 hours amazing oh wait no uh, 29 hours isn't that a crazy place yeah you know it's like why do you want to be there but you kind of like it oh that's awesome 
That's a sick story. I have to pee. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I'll tell you what. So be thinking of a rant and a rave while you pee. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Guys, so I say we take this time. Should we just interject a couple listener mails here, or should I just edit this out and we go right into rants and raves? We are one hour, 52 minutes in. Thank you for the boss. All right. Oh, I don't know if I can jump into any of these listener mails right here. The only one that I would like to kind of touch on here, and we can get to all these in a later show because there are some good ones here, but what about, and I specifically want to throw this to you, Lewis, what about the custom outfitting here? Do you remember that uh, one? Vaguely. I mean, I don't know. It just looked like somebody had outfitted his boat. Well, I mean, he took a hodgepodge <laughs> of like several oh. different... Raymond. Raymond's gonna be so disappointed. Right. I'm glad to see he kept the IR ratchets in there. That's good. He keeps he keeps us in the in the loop. I appreciate that. Yeah. So basically, he's got a Liquid Logic boat. He re- he removed the badass cover, installed a dagger seat lifter, drilled half inch thro- uh, holes throughout the seat for putting fasteners, custom mini cell hip pads, um, removed the the factory back band. And put in, and he raised it up, um, cut slots into the front of the seat to get a breakdown paddle, which to me was the best idea out of all this that I thought was a, a, a great idea. But, I mean, Raymond put something together there. I mean, I don't know. I mean, is this what your outfit outfitting looks like, Lewis? Um, much more simple. Right. I just do it. I just glue foam in, man. <laughs> it's nothing fancy. <laughs> Lewis's outfitting is fancy. <laughs> well, it's we, not fancy; it's precise. We get a Benny, lot of. I've Benny. I don't. I don't know if you've made any adjustments to your approach on boat outfitting, but I've borrowed boats from Benny, and it like when you paddle one of Benny's boats, it's like it makes everything that Benny does seem that much more amazing because it's like finding out that like your favorite skier is wearing boots that are like three sizes too big and missing like two of the buckles. Thank you. That's where I'm at. <laughs> I take, I, I will take a boat and paddle it as is brand new. Like I won't even adjust the footplate. I'm like, it's good enough. I'm starting. I'm, I'm now I'll bring my foot block up. Uh, if I want to be more deliberate, uh, I might start adding some outfitting. I, I recommend it, man. I think you might like yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, far be it from me, but. <laughs> uh, well, we're two hours in here, boys. We're going to have to wrap this one up. Um, Benny, I could probably go on all day. I would love to touch on the Congo. I mean, so like, you know, you're on the Fraser, you're in, you know, a couple hundred thousand CFS, 200,000 CFS. And when you guys were on the Congo, you were close to a million, weren't you? Yep. Yep. 1.2 million. Yeah. I mean, that's just a whole new level. And I was there on a previous trip, on a scouting trip right. for that. Yeah. And uh, it was 3 million when we were there. Yeah. It was not friendly. Anyway. Dude, um, when, when can you come back to the States, man? What's the story? Are you just going to hold it down in Victoria until it's stakeout? I actually, I got a rowing machine. It's my latest kayak. Um, 
and it's like I think we can we can I just can't use the land border but I could fly there and then take the land border back but basically if I travel there and flew back fly back then I have to I have to you have to do this they test you at the airport they take you to a hotel you await your test results and you take home another test and cumulatively that, that costs around two thousand bucks um until it's not just the 14 day quarantine if you cross the land border it's just the 14 day quarantine um but i've i kind of just got a rowing machine instead. <laughs> and I, I could i could kayak to washington if you want to pick me up in roche harbor uh i've kayaked there before from here <laughs> but it's uh i don't know man i'm, I'm just gonna to stick it out up here until it's time to head out to ontario for spring season there yeah sounds reasonable <laughs> it's hard to move around these days do you have any quarantine when you went to africa no you just kind of was it yeah like yeah no <laughs> Got there, hit the river. So, is there anything you guys would like to add before we move on to our closing segment here? I mean, I have a lot of things I'd like to say, but unfortunately, I got to go make dinner for the kids. <laughs> I'd say that your one day descent of the Stikine was a uh, pretty monumental and definitely anything like that that helps you think differently like i would i would credit that to how i how i think you know and then annual and jared changed how i think and then lomler's changed how i think so it's like all these all these cool things that have been done and that get done are all part of what will be done i think which mm. is really cool all that incremental steps improving one bit after the other yeah I don't know. I just, you know, when you talked about the nods and stares with you and Aniol on the Stikin when you guys were out there and you were communicating, but you were never talking and just, I can remember times being in that situation and that's freaking, that's a great place to be, man. It's hard to find that spot. All right, boys, now it's everyone's favorite part of the show, our rants and raves here. To close out the show, this is where your host and our guest go on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave about something they're either all fired up on or getting chafed about. So, not to put you on the spot, Benny, but uh, do you have a rant or rave that you'd like to share with our audience? I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> I don't know I no like good examples of don't overthink it that, yeah there's never much thought process that goes into this yeah. one we'll come back to you in a sec okay. somebody take the reins there I have a I have a quick rave about whitewater kayaking but from a weird angle so we go skiing right up here at Mount Hood right and it's packed I mean packed you know but the kids want to go so you take them off but then, uh, you, you know, it's the same with every aspect of the outdoor industry, it seems like. You go backpacking. I took my kid backpacking this summer. Washington, crowded. Everything was, you know, super. The parking lot was full. Um, 
you know, we go mountain biking in Post Canyon, same thing. However, however, for the moment, you could still go to run the Little White, and it basically feels like it's 1994 out there. That's the beauty of kayaking. For the moment. Now, I know there's some exceptions. Like, I know you go so, to the Yonk and Twilight Weekend. So you get to spirit. <laughs> so spirit, right? And there's someone camping, like, in a Gucci tent. But, uh... Oh, my God. Yeah, for the moment, you know, you can still go out and have a legitimate, you know, wilderness experience in a kayak relatively close to your house. And it's very unusual in this day and age. But that's also why we're flat broke as kayak gear manufacturers. <clears throat> but it's worth it, right? Sure. Sure. <laughs> I'm going to rave. I got to rave. I'm going to rave about conspiracy theories. <laughs> and one in particular. Have you guys heard of the uh, birds aren't real conspiracy theory? I have not. This is, this, this, guy. this is a joke. I've no. heard this too, but it's a joke. It's a conspiracy theory. Look, it, it made me laugh. Let me just tell you about it. So the story is the CIA took, like, killed like 12 billion birds and basically, <laughs> basically, you know, there was the reason for it is kind of mixed. There's mixed messaging there, but they replaced him with surveillance drones. Uh, there's this whole community about it. They have a solution to everything and like what the eggs are and. It goes into all sorts of things. But this dude, this guy who who started this thing, his name's Peter. Um, oh, God dang it. Um, Peter, not McHenry. Peter, uh, oh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, this guy Peter started this. He was like 20 years old. Okay, it was right when conspiracy theories were becoming like the thing, you know, and he starts this thing. And he has had the most creative skits He's like done billboards and got PR and news teams to interview him and they get up there and he like kind of says the theory and, and he's got the best satirical responses to everything that's going on. And it's a conspiracy theory that if you hate conspiracy theories or you love conspiracy theories, he meets in a place where you can still like him, which is kind of hard with conspiracy theories. But anyway, this guy turned this birds aren't real into a multi-million dollar business and just like every conspiracy theory out there he's cashing in on it so i just want to rave about this guy and birds aren't real check out birdsartreal.com or check out their instagram handle or anything like that it's freaking super good shit that's your rave <laughs> that's my rave i mean it's awesome dude you get, get into birds aren't real i bought a t-shirt i bought a t-shirt like two years ago what yeah. <laughs> Lewis, bring the heat with a rant. That's just a scorched earth rant that gets you a ton of hate mail. You have the red meat that that the listeners love. Yes, I want to, but I'm trying to. I'm trying oh, to. Come no, a kinder, gentler Lewis. Oh, I'm letting, I'm letting that go. Nobody there needs that. No. Just loosen up. Take a deep breath. Let it out. No, I'm gonna suppress it. <laughs> I got a new rug in the office that I'm going to oh, about. No, it really, oh, it really ties the room together. Okay. <laughs> that's that's the, the level of preparation that I bring to the rants and raves is frantically Benny, I need looking you to dig the room deep. trying to come up with something. I need you to dig deep, find the dark side, feel the power of the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> Let 
the anger build slowly. Yeah, I was and just go. hanging out with uh, you know, Bran and, and Dane. Yeah. For so yes. long. Oh, here we go. And we <laughs> and and Isaac Hall too. Uh, oh, that was like the, worst. The, the last little bit of our group, you know, the four of us and And what do um, they do? Well, it's just like <laughs> we, <laughs> we would end up ranting and raving. And I know, I know another thing about myself is that I, I can, uh, you know, a couple beers and a good mm. friend, they might end up with an earful about something. <laughs> but, but I would, if I was going to rant and rave about the same thing, I would say when I was younger, I used to rant about the kayaking industry, but there was nothing supporting my, my claims and disillusions of not being, of the industry not being big and not making money. But I would say these things because I'd probably heard them said before, not because I actually deserved any money. Um, but now I rave about, I love how small our sport is, uh, even though it's hard to make money in it. I'm sorry as a gear manufacturer, <laughs> but <laughs> also as a kayaker, because I wouldn't change anything about the sport. Um, and if the sport was bigger, then you know there'd be three Danes and three Onioles and three EGs, and it would be a lot harder to uh, to make your scratch and a little mark on it. And there'd be 800 people at the parking lot at the Little White. It would look like the Herm parking lot on a Saturday at Mount Hood Meadows. Oh, Wait till, like, next spring break. It's coming, you know. Wait till April, mid-April. It's, it's coming. Yeah, you just you got to keep sharp and stay ahead of the crowds by paddling at higher flows. <laughs> I, I think there's a built-in fear factor in kayaking that's going to keep people out people yeah. that look at kayaking they're like that that's it's the same category as like the guy in the bat suit as i always say the kayaking and the bat suit guy is the same sport to most most people <laughs> the guy you know in the red bull video jumping off some mountain in, in norway or something on oh, the wingsuit the wingsuit yeah <laughs> yeah they're just nuts just some guy doing a stunt that's kayaking like a guy in a barrel or a kayak or whatever Stupid. It is stupid. Blue, you got no value to add here. Never. Come on, you got a rant. I know you do. Lay it out there. I'm not doing it, man. Do it. it. Do it. Why don't you write it? Write it on a text message and send it to me, and I'll read it for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's repetitive and tired, and I'm just gonna gonna sit on my 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 rants. Okay. Right. something for next time that's very anticlimactic or uh the next time i'm welcomed onto your show i'll build up some courage and rant about something well, there we, we go we've got things to talk about you know we've got i mean we've got to dive into the congo we've got other listener questions that we didn't have a chance to get to who makes the best whitewater boat right now the best boat the best whitewater boat like if you're gonna run maybe not multi-day but like whatever the best class five boat out there right now i don't know like i think you just go into your people have their own little filters that no for you arrive at. like for you me? what's your what's your go-to boat if if i was allowed one kayak mm, that's what i'm getting at right there uh ideally it would be the steez pull it back a bit that was for you lewis <laughs> do it do it lewis the steez that's your one um, your go-to boat what i would be happy kayaking but if I needed something that, like, if if you were like, you get one boat and you have to run these 
10 things yeah. and it went from waterfalls to multi-days to big water, mm -hmm. I would take a tuna too. So the steez, I flipped over the scorch and it had a steez next to it. Just for reference, the large scorch, at least the version that we were paddling, identical to the steez hull. I mean, literally, I mean, you'd have to have a, a little ruler out there to measure the differences because they're almost identical. You mean with, with flat you can make spot? It well. it, they're almost identical. I'm not, that's not a, that's not a criticism. Mm. Just to be clear, because a lot of people love the steez hull, but they look really, really similar. I mean, and also puffy steez. Puffy steez, not normal steez. It's, it's like all I want to paddle now. Like it makes me so happy every time I paddle that boat. It's so good. So another cool thing about paddling with, with Dane, Dane was in the new antics and just selling it. Like he ran as the water got higher, no problems. But uh, it's Dane, right? I mean, Dane could be paddling a, a Roman canoe out there and be like, he looks great. Yeah, but it, right? was, it was good. So we switched one afternoon. Uh, he got in my steez, puffy steez, and I got in his antics. And he was stern squirting the puffy steez better than I could stern squirt the medium antics, which I'm much too heady, heavy for. It was incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I'm I'm now, I used to always say I stopped stern squirting when I turned 14. <laughs> and, and now I... I have to like eat those words and I was <laughs> just like trying so hard and like my wrist was hurting and my shoulders were hurting even more because I was trying to learn how to stern squirt that thing. Oh man. Shut us down, Lewis. All right, go ahead. He's not going to do it. All right. Well, Benny, thank you so much. That was really good. I know we've been trying to connect. You've been traveling and whatever. So. Thank you guys. That was yeah. Fun. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. So, dude, how how does how did we tap into the Lululemon font here, dude? How's how did that all come around? Sorry, I know we're shutting down, but I just can't quite um, let Benny go. I mean, look at the guy. I mean, how would you not sponsor him? Can not we see your hair real quick? Anymore? Yeah, sure. Lots of it. Lots of hair to go around. But yeah, Lulu contracts are over for me. Was that by your choosing or their choosing? Yeah, I dropped him. They were like consolidating. Uh, two years ago, I was on the other end of that message where they consolidated the team and I stayed on and this year they consolidated and then I was not on, but it doesn't, it's all good. <laughs> I, I have heaps of clothes to last a lifetime. So how are you making a go of it? Like what's your, what's your financial plan look like right now? Uh, what let me, what is your tax return? Let's take let's take a look. What I mean, like you're I mean you're you're I mean, would you call yourself a career kayaker basically? I mean that's your primary occupation. Yeah, like I've in the past, you know, this last summer I was working for a friend doing like plumbing and gas fitting. A <laughs> uh, couple of years before that, I was like trimming in California. But it's just like little minor bursts of income, and otherwise. I got a job yeah. for you. Oh yeah. Yeah, you come down here. We'll get you sewing. I need, I need someone to sew. Sewing. It's very boring. Yeah. Can I listen to podcasts? And Absolutely. Audio? I would highly okay. recommend it. The trashier, the longer, the better. Can you tell Tiger the border that it's essential that I arrive there? <laughs> Yeah, I can make that happen. Can I paddle the little white two to three times per day? 
two morning <laughs> can and afternoon. I, can I work from <laughs> seven p.m. until one a.m. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. After some That's training, hard to dawn patrol. We'll work on the hours. We'll work. On <laughs> All right. Um, I don't know. I'm, just, I'm trying to do kayaking courses and sell calendars and mugs with my naked body on it, stuff like that. <laughs> Dude, I love the calendar. I I think it's you know maybe maybe it's gonna be uh, maybe there will be options all nudes, mostly nudes. You know I can't actually show the bits. Just charge a premium. Just charge a premium for that. I'm telling you. Yeah. You yeah. could cube out the bits. <laughs> oh, you got a customer right there. <laughs> no cubing out the bits. Full <laughs> <laughs> bits. Getting mixed signals. Uh, I think. Yeah, we'll have two. We'll have two editions of the calendar. <laughs> well, Benny, where can uh, our listeners follow you? Buy their buy themselves a whitewater calendar and and learn more about finding their inner sanctity. BennyFuckingMar.com <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Hammer Factor episode 80, and we'll catch you next time.